You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today Tom is sitting down again with Pavel Luksha. Pavel is a leading education futurist. He's a professor of practice at Moscow School of Management and director of Global Education Futures. What drives Pavel is creating a world that works for everyone. He recently contributed to a new future of skills report that is one of the best we've seen on the subject. The report was a collaboration between Global Education Futures, World Skills Russia, and World Skills International. Let's listen in as Tom and Pavel discuss what learners need to know and why we live in a VUCA place. Pavel Lukcha, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Pavel, it's uh, so great to have you on again, but I, I, was, uh, I went to bed last night thinking of all the spectacular places that we have met in the past from... Uh, Russia to the Stanford campus and uh, Birkenstock, Switzerland and <laughs> Copenhagen. Uh, so I miss seeing you. Yes, yes. It's actually, like like I said, uh, I feel uh, it's a uh, it's a great place. Uh, you could be in, with me here now. Uh, I am in uh, Leo Tolstoy Estate and. Uh, it's where he wrote his books like War and Peace, and uh, it's where he started this humanistic pedagogy. Uh, the school of Tolstoy is also here. So it's like a, a fatherland of uh, humanistic pedagogy in Russia. <laughs> Pavel, uh, you're, you're my favorite uh, futurist on the planet, um, and you typically travel all over the world. How, how has the last year uh, been without any international travel? Well, I guess it's uh, it feels a little bit like... Uh, a junkie without a dose. <laughs> I really, really need my uh, kicks of uh, connecting to people internationally. We we did a lot of very intense uh, uh, work on Zoom and other platforms. Uh, we did uh, amazing uh, work with uh, people from 49 countries that I'm about to share with you, Tom. But... Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, the physical uh, physical connection should be there. Uh, I do too. You know, I, I usually visit about 100 schools a year, and I hmm. I haven't been in a school in a year, and I uh, I really miss that. Well, I hope it will get better this year because uh, vaccination has started, and I hope that uh, pandemics in general should be over by summer, probably. Uh, Pavel, we're talking because you recently released an, an extraordinary study. It's called the Future Skills for the 2020s, um, and it, it's a it's a huge volume. And it included uh, it summarizes interviews that you did with people all over the world. Um, how in the world did you mount this study uh, in the middle of a pandemic? Well, actually, we were lucky <laughs> in a way. Well. Uh, of course, all, all other circumstances are not so great, but the fact that people are staying at home uh, creates an incentive for them to share over over uh, remote discussions. So we had uh, really amazing sessions with people from all over the planet, uh, Australia, New Zealand, to South America, North America, Africa, a- anywhere. And... Uh, we could just bring a lot of amazing experts online in uh, collaborative sessions because everyone was at home. <laughs> we ran about 20 massive sessions and uh, had about uh, 800 people 
contributing to the report overall? Uh, Pavel, for, for a decade, you've talked about um, the, the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, um, complex, and ambiguous. And people may not have appreciated that until 2020, but I think almost everybody around the world now uh, fully experienced what, uh, what a VUCA world is about, right? Yeah, and actually the picture with which I usually illustrated it, one of the images was people in uh, masks. So I spoke about the risk of pandemics as one of manifestations of VUCA, but nobody was taking it seriously indeed until last year. Right, now I think you and Bill Gates were out front on, uh, on talking about that risk. Uh, Pavel, th this is really the... I think the best future skills report that I've ever seen, and I, I, we're going to encourage our our listeners to to dive into that report. The the summary uh, really talks about three skills that I'd love to have you talk about uh, to collaborate, to embrace future orientations, um, and to embody well being. Those are those are sort of the overarching skills. Maybe you could take a minute and talk about uh, of each of those. Why is collaboration and um, particularly the ability to adapt and transform an organization. Why, why is that so critical? Well, exactly. Uh, the pandemics highlights the deficit of these two critical competences. So, for example, the fact that the uh, U.S. constantly being uh, ranked as top uh, country in terms of its uh, healthcare system came unprepared for pandemics like the one it's going through right now shows the lack of that uh, strategic, what they say, strategic foresight, the anticipation of possible undesired risks and uh, making preparations. And, and actually, as we're moving ahead uh, and uh, the world indeed is becoming increasingly complex, uh, we need uh, decision makers, but really we need also people, uh, let's say on the, on the, at the front, uh, people, people that are doing the job, to really understand what's going on, to anticipate, to prepare, prepare themselves and prepare their organizations to cope with these risks. So that's why future uh, anticipation becomes so critical, uh, coupled with system thinking. And uh, of course, collaboration, because uh, in situations when uh, things start to change dynamically, uh, you hardly can do anything alone. You need others to support you, to work in team, to collectively solve any problem that emerges. So it's actually about collective problem solving ability that is increasingly required in the world. And of course, uh, when we talk about pandemics, it's only one of the risks. And, and uh, there is a very interesting recurring study by uh, World Economic Forum that ranks the global risks. They were showing the risk of pandemics. It was like a, a medium level risk with a medium impact. Now they have some high level possibility and high impact risks related to climate change, to biodiversity loss and so on. And really a lot of experts anticipate that these risks can materialize in the next decade or let's say a couple of decades with very, very severe consequences. So the question is, is your organization ready? Is the economy ready for, for situations like this? So that's why we need to develop this ability to collaborate with one another and to solve problems. And of course, when you think about where and how to solve problems, that's the issue of uh, universal well-being. Because first of all, it's not about us contributing to economy or contributing to ourselves. It's about the ability to restore ourselves for sake of economy, for sake of our society, 
And actually, if we think about the well-being of planet, the solving of climate crisis, for example, it's not possible to address it unless we also learn how to take care of ourselves. And so actually, the, the mindfulness in terms of actually being able to empathize with others, to build up relationship, to start caring about one another, begins with learning how to take care of oneself. So that's why universal well-being becomes so important. I, yeah, Pavel, I, I think I've, the one thing I've appreciated about your work for the last decade is the sense of mutuality, um, uh, the, the cosmopolitan values. Uh, I remember you, you uh, interviewed, uh, uh, you did a, a, a talk on cosmopolitan values in uh, Switzerland last time we were together. Um, but it, I think in the last year, more and more people around the globe have gain this sense of, of mutuality um, because we're in climate change together. We're seeing inequities grow uh, in, in every developed economy of the world. And we're suddenly in a, in a pandemic uh, together. And so many people are experiencing this new sense of mutuality. And um, you've been talking about that for, for 10 years, but it's front and center in your report. We appreciate that. There, there is this very interesting counter trends happening. It's uh, happening in the US, it's happening all over the world right now, where on one right. hand, pandemics provokes people to become more like, say, nation-oriented, even locality-oriented, um, for a good reason, because like, if, if you're thinking about being relied, uh, trying to rely your your kind of essential, whatever, supplies, your food supply, and so on, on the global economy to provide to you, Something like pandemics happens and uh, supplies stop and uh, the food security is not guaranteed and medical supplies are not guaranteed. So a lot of countries, a lot of regions start to think about more like self-reliance, so to say, strategies. Similarly, they start to think that we probably should think about our own priorities first. But when you think again about this global risk and the global well-being, it is more important than the the personal or the local well-being, or at least as, as important. So learning how to work in this new reality where, of course, we become more separated on one hand, but we need to learn how to reconnect. So that, that will be a big process for the next decade. Uh, I, I think that's particularly true for education leaders and civic leaders uh, who, who can benefit from the trend uh, towards mutuality, towards embracing well-being, but... Uh, but who are, are dealing with the counter trends that you talked about. So I appreciate that. Uh, Pavel, the report uh, talks about a couple mega trends that have a high or a medium high impact on almost every sector, digitalization, globalization, and environmentalization. Uh, say a word about each of those mega trends. Mm. Well, we actually see, um... Indeed, uh, these, these megatrends that are transforming the nature of global economy. And uh, uh, the topic of digitalization has been with us at least for the last 30 years since uh, Internet has started. Well, probably before that, but increasingly with the spread of Internet and with the spread of uh, smartphones for the last decade, it became like, let's say, relevant to anyone on the planet. Still, uh, in terms of our actual processes, how our life was organized, how, for example, education was organized, so social processes, collaboration, was still, let's say, pre-digitalized. And, and what we say in the report is that uh, COVID situation 
became a trigger, it, like a catalyst for, for a very rapid digitalization that started to take on even in sectors that were refrained from it. And, uh, and again, an example from education, we know that uh, in last spring, over the period of just six weeks, the whole world, it was 90, over 90% of the whole population of learners, about one and a half billion students, moved into the mode of remote learning. Over one billion moved into online learning. Six weeks, just six weeks. So it was an unprecedented shift in such a short period of time when people were talking about decades of a possibility. Now the system started to learn. So that's digitalization. That's how systems learn to use digital tools and really use them in a more natural way. It doesn't mean that we are going to replace uh, our face-to-face -face connections with, with uh, remote connection, but it, it definitely gives a new level of flexibility, a new whole dimension of opportunities to learners. Well, you're a big proponent of that. Automation, it's another process that, again, been happening maybe for, for centuries because that's the, uh, the essence of uh, in industrial economy. But with the new wave of technologies uh, such as machine learning, um, it, it opens up a totally new possibilities, like a whole, like a single person can run a, a whole enterprise with just a few di digital solutions. So, of course, this is coming up. And, and again, COVID provoked to use increasingly digitalization, automation, including uh, use of robotics, which becoming also increasingly uh, cheap and accessible. Uh, and that uh, means that in, in the next decade, we're going to see a lot of robotics used in, in, in urban environments, uh, in uh, factories, in uh, rural areas. So that becomes, again, a part of the new norm. But this whole tr transformation doesn't mean like we're going on the, the, the path that was set up like uh, decades ago. We, the, this new factor of environmentalization is about how do we deal with uh, this uh, climate risk, with with uh, ecology risk with biodiversity loss risk. We need to change the modality in which our economy operates. We really make it nature friendly, really learn how to cooperate with planet instead of destroying it. And this brings the, the new topic of regenerative economy, which means that we, instead of extracting from, from the planet, let's say from nature, we learn how to restore nature. And, and that opens up a whole uh, world of, let's say, new types of activities in economy, but it also requires a, a completely new set of skills, green skills, universal well-being skills, collaboration skills that are required to build up regenerative economy. So these things are starting to happen. We see that COVID is like triggering, uh, triggering the change, and it starts to accelerate uh, um, in, in around this, this decade. I, I love the sounds of that, Pavel. You talk about life-centered, transformative, regenerative, circular economies. Say a little bit more about the, the, the life-centered. What, what does that mean? What does it look like? Hmm. Well, it's a very interesting transition that we start to envisage um, because for many, many centuries, if not millennia, uh, humans thought of themselves being like superior to any other forms on this planet uh, of life. Uh, but we start to see how our own life is really dependent on our, let's say, very intense collaboration and co-evolution with all other forms. For example, how many types of uh, bacteria are living in our body and just sustain it? It's like 99% of our genome is not ours. It's of symbiotic bacteria that live in our body. We need to learn how to uh, be friends with them to, to survive. 
Same uh, is about the external environment, uh, forests, uh, uh, rivers, uh, grass, and so on. We, we need to learn how to actually maintain the, the biodiversity in order for this planet to keep the, the climate, keep the atmosphere in place, keep the quality of water and so on. So really, we depend on life more than de it depends on us. It can move beyond us, but we will definitely need uh, life, that we need biosphere to, to sustain us as a species. So that means that we need to rethink our economy. We need to make it life-centered rather than life, uh, like opposing the life. And for uh, for a few last centuries, it's been actually like all kinds of technologies we were using, they were kind of more life-destroying than life-embracing. So learning how to make our economy life-friendly, in the end life-centered, to really perpetuate life, to learn to work as life works, is something that we're going to learn through this century, but it begins now. Baba, we have a lot of um, education leaders that listen to this podcast. Uh, one of the sectors that you look at in your report is education. And so what, what advice would you give to education leaders? What are the, what are the two or three uh, factors that they should be thinking about uh, for the 2020s? Hmm. Well, we actually uh, created a whole uh, separate section in our report dedicated to strategies of different types of stakeholders, uh, starting with uh, learners and teachers. And we think that uh, it's, it's the time when teachers can manifest their potential for a system change. Of course, it's good to empower, if you're an administrator, especially if you're a school leader, you can empower teachers to experiment. But it's also a great time when in, in the time of uncertainty, the choices you are making are actually shaping the future. They are creating new trends. So uh, my first advice is to be bold, to try and experiment with whatever is possible to emerge and learn how to uh, create these elements of the future that you want to see in the world. And that's like the constant message that I try also to perpetuate, not only in education, but I think that's also the way to create this life-centered economy, human-centered society and so on. Uh, second is uh, uh, that I think we need to really put learners at the center of this process and create um, uh, create learning processes with the idea that they are going to last for a lifetime. So it means that we need to focus on uh, more on what we call existential skills, the skills that actually allow people to live their life better. And to part of the, this existential skills is also ability to learn, ability to empathize with others, ability to make decisions, to be entrepreneurial, open-minded, and so on. So this is these are all basically competences that we can learn and we can learn how to change our life by mastering those competences. So that's my second advice. And third advice, of course, is uh, collaboration. <laughs> I started with this, but I wanted to again emphasize it because where we are shifting is this uh, more, much more network-based type of education with the, with the idea that we will not be able to only provide everything within like one institution, one school to really nurture a, a leader or an expert or, or a professional. We need to create um, a lot of possible trajectories for, for learners, which means that we need to create networks of opportunities for learners from different types of institutions working together to provide these trajectories and pathways and journeys. That means that the better we collaborate, the better, as we say, we weave, weave this process, connect 
all these different opportunities, the, the better uh, it, it really starts to serve learners. Nick, you, you also encourage um, education leaders to lean into artificial intelligence, big data, exponential technologies, uh, both from a technology skill standpoint, but also to help learners begin to understand the ethical and economic implications. Well, I think we should not see uh, technology as an enemy of uh, educators and of humans in general, but we also should not see it as a kind of way to, um, let's say, replace who we are. It's, it's a tool, it's a very advanced tool that is emerging right now, uh, and it gives us a lot of opportunities. And we, we should, well, actually, the, as they say, knowledge is power, and the better we understand what these tools provide to us, the better we know how to use them. So the next stage of uh, evolution of our civilization will also be uh, done by uh, uh, embodying, uh, engaging with these uh, technological opportunities that are provided. Of course, moving in this direction of being more life-centered and human-centered. So yes, I believe that uh, AI and digital technologies and uh, data science are absolutely essential. And for example, just to give you one example, the opportunities that um, complex data science uh, analysis provides in, in terms of as, uh, assessing, evaluating learners is, let's say, uh, orders beyond whatever is available to current models of assessment. Uh, we using models that are outdated by decades. They're, they've been all created in 1950s, 1960s. Now, Google and Facebook know more about these learners than a, a school because they create digital twin, digital like model of, of, a, of a learner behaving, who in, constantly interacts with these digital environments. Now, the school is able to collect all this data, to analyze it, to really serve better each student's in a more personalized, more kind of student-centered manner. And that's what is needed as part of, of the solution. We're talking to Pavel Luksha about his uh, report, The Future Skills for the 2020s. If any listeners uh, are working on a new portrait of a graduate or a graduate profile, thinking about the skills that your learners will need in the 2020s, this is a must-read report. Uh, Pavel, I appreciated the, the fact that the report highlighted the need for basic skills for human adaptability, future readiness, human skills uh, that increase personal and collective resilience and productivity, uh, the new tech skills to uh, address the fourth industrial revolution, and then finally the green and universal well-being skills. I think your report is the first to really do a nice job of enumerating those. So it, it's a great summary of the required skills of the 2020s. It, it uh, as Pavel said, it also looks sector by sector at which of those skills are gonna be slightly more important, so. Yeah, just wanted yeah. to highlight this because we really saw also why we wanted to go sectoral. We saw a great deal of variance across multiple sectors. So we, when we think about a career of an artist or a career of engineer, of course, they require a different set of skills. And if we, but there is also a lot of convergence, for example, because artists are increasingly becoming um, uh, social leaders. They are becoming uh, engineers to you to create a, a next stage of the art. And so we think we might think about convergence of skills. And really, what we talk about this fundamental skill set is like um, the skills that are required all across these multiple sectors. 
again, still there is a lot of variety in, in the sector. And really, when you want to understand the nature of specific, the sectors are quite aggregated, agriculture, cultural industries, and so on. You need to look into the specifics as well. Uh, Pavel, uh, around the same time, you also released a report on learning ecosystems. This is probably the most in-depth look at, uh, at learning ecosystems around the world that's ever been produced. Um, what, what's a learning ecosystem and why are they worth studying? Hmm. Well, um, the way we are seeing it, we actually think that learning ecosystem is the next stage of what we call a system of education. It's what we probably should see as a system of education in the 21st century. Uh, educational system was created in um, roughly around the, the early or middle of 19th century in different countries. Uh, and it was modeled as a, an industrial enterprise. And we all know this discourse, how they were created to really serve the rapidly growing industrial economies. So they are focused on standardization. They are focused on standard students, standard uh, uh, tests and so on. Uh, now, the new um, model requires a much more diverse and, and unique uh, trajectories or pathways of learning. It requires lifelong learning. It requires individual as well as collaborative, community-based, uh, organization-based, online, offline modalities of learning. So we really need some new, let's say, vessel to hold this. And it cannot be hierarchically governed. It needs to be much more... Uh, network-based. They need to connect all the learning opportunities for learners, individual and collective ones, because organizations and communities and teams, they also learn. So what is that holding vessel? We think it's a learning ecosystem. It's actually a network of these learning providers and, le and learners uh, and all kinds of opportunities and resources available to them in a, in a dynamically changing and constantly evolving form where it's not kind of, uh, uh, um, there, there is no a blueprint to actually tell what the ecosystem is. It's, it's, there is, exists in the stage of evolution. So uh, learning ecosystems are actually, uh, they're using the name that is taken from biology. And when we look mm -hmm. into biology, we, we realize that ecosystems are like ubiquitous. They're, they are everywhere. Um, every place has an ecosystem of its own. And it's not random that, uh, nature selected or, or chose ecosystems over other types of organization. It evidently created um, a lot of different forms, including hierarchies, including uh, uh, formats where some species is dominating others and so on. Still, it prefers this, this format, which embraces diversity, embraces connection. There is no like, uh, there is no ministry of education or ministry of whatsoever in a real ecosystem in the forest in the, in the, in the ocean. They all are interdependent species collaborating with each other. And I must say that collaboration is the essence of a, an ecosystem. It was discovered uh, first. It was discovered, by the way, by Pyotr Kropotkin, who uh, was also Russian in the late uh, 19th century, and then rediscovered by a Harvard scientist Paul Ehrlich in like late 1960s. So the nature of ecosystem is uh, built on mutualistic uh, relationship, the win-win relationships that are formed by different uh, players. So when we see the ascendance of ecosystems in education, we start to see how different entities, because of the interest in getting, let's say, better quality learners, more unique 
talents nurtured and so on, they start partnering with one another. Like employers start to partner with uh, complementary education, with online platforms, with cities to create these multiple learning experiences, really hybrid uh, learning environments where, where students can receive all kinds of experiences and cultivate these uh, qualities that uh, a more standardized, let's say, type of learning is not able to provide, including, for example, entrepreneurial education. So all of these requires a much more diverse learning environments. There is a, an old proverb in Africa that says, it takes a village to raise a child. It's like the whole village needs to interact with the child to really make a child into a human being. Uh, something similar is happening in our education. We need like a whole ecosystem of many, many players interact with our learners to really uh, cultivate the holistic learning, develop all these human abilities that are required to work in this very complex and sophisticated economy and rapidly evolving economy in this VUCA world. We need, we need, that's why we need uh, ecosystems. I appreciate how that report looks at sort of concentric circles of ecosystems that are very personal, they're place-based, but they recognize their role in a, uh, a planetary system. Is that right? Yes, and uh, actually it also tell, talks about uh, the fact that anyone who steps um, as, a, as an educator into a job of creating or, or catalyzing an ecosystem needs to look at these three levels, recognizing that it's, it's being done for a community like uh, myself, uh, my group, my team, my family, to live in a different environment, which is much more human friendly, supportive, regenerative, and so on. I want a specific change to happen in our, my community to make a society that is more just, to address all kinds of injustices and really uh, provide opportunities to learners to really move to a more just society, to regenerate nature, to create opportunities for urban learners. That's like a local. And then we are talking about this as a more civilizational shift because we spoke with you, Tom, just a few minutes ago about these challenges such as uh, climate crisis and whatnot that are threatening the future of our civilization. So part of the response, not the whole response, is to create different models of learning that can hold and, and search for responses on the local and global level. So we need uh, these diversified and network-based systems of learning that is searching for new approaches and new ways of uh, being, living, acting. We're talking to uh, Russian futurist Pavel Luksha uh, about his learning ecosystems report. Uh, Pavel, the report is a practical guide for ecosystem uh, thrivalists. I love that. It's a case study of about 40 ecosystems around the world. Um, could you give us an example of a, of a healthy learning ecosystem? I know you, you well, case studied so many, but give us uh, one or two uh, good examples to illustrate what an ecosystem is. Well, um, we, I, I think they're, they're really uh, quite diverse. So uh, we think about, uh, for example, um, a system that is based uh, in uh, Colombia, uh, done by uh, Luis Camargo, who actually is not only about creating the network of, uh, of schools that are learning uh, these all kinds of green skills, he is basing the whole education on what they call nature-based learning. So what Lewis has created is cre create these programs that connect communities of schools 
for learners from these schools to really go on, on all kinds of uh, nature connecting experiences and then creating different types of projects in, uh, for, for the city of Bogota uh, in Colombia. And uh, why, why is it an ecosystem essentially? Because it depends on all kinds of partnerships to really work. It depends on partnerships with many schools. It depends on partnerships with providers of resources that really can uh, allow students to do these kinds of projects, uh, including municipalities. And really students start by, by connect, uh, and also partnerships with rural communities where they would go for deep connection experiences with nature. So he has some kind of essence, the, this pedagogy that he wants to promote. He uses it to really create uh, unique experiences for students. And then that exists as a kind of complementary education that starts to connect or weave the whole community of learners and schools and social leaders and uh, municipalities into some kind of social change. So yeah, I could, could give another, uh, I think another very inspiring example from India is uh, this uh, group called Dream a Dream. Um, it's, I think they were highlighted as a top um, educational innovation in uh, 2018 by uh, Finnish group 100. Uh, so they uh, they have a, a, this this kind of experience they provide to um, let's say poor um, uh, slice of population in Mumbai and and also in uh, other uh, Indian states uh, uh, to offer children uh, opportunities for cultivating what they call existential skills or life skills that will allow them then to thrive as they become uh, adults and really to find jobs and so on. And it all, it actually works as a network of different like opportunities where these learners start to learn and connecting them to, let's say, practical experiences, to uh, adult mentors, to uh, supporting peer circle uh, and so on. So it's, it's a really diverse experiences. Again, following that proverb of, uh, the whole village raising a child. But this is where the village is much more intentionally orchestrated to really create that holistic experience. And that allows them to actually, I think they, they already reached out to over a million kids in India, really changing their, uh, their, their life trajectory, opening up opportunities for them. Well, the last question is, uh, you seem to be a frantic learner. You, you're a very productive, uh, human being, um, how do you keep learning? How do you stay focused, uh, even in the middle of a global pandemic? Uh, what is keeping you learning and productive? Well, first of all, I, I would say I'm really grateful to this last year. I think I was uh, learning more than ever. I was working with several mentors I, uh, that I've found through this year. Most of them I'm working with remotely. They're international mentors uh, on different aspects, including my health. I started to learn guitar. And again, I, I never learned how to play guitar. I'm now actively learning guitar. And uh, again, I'm learning online in, in, in an online platform. I'm learning all kinds of things in remote um remote way, I think it's it, uh, really online gives us so many opportunities to connect with best experts around the world. Uh, what keeps me motivated? Well, I really think that this uh, learning really opens up new opportunities for us because when we learn things, like for example, take the example of guitar, um, 
I love listening to music. Now I can play music. I can finally kind of all my favorite tunes instead of like just singing along with a singer, I can really play them. And it's like so exciting. And I'm thinking about all other things. I'm learning to really open up opportunities for myself. And that's why I'm so inspired in, uh, by education. I think it's actually the most, the best, let's say, human empowering tool on one hand. On the other hand, for our society, for civilization, it's also uh, 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 changing the faith potentially. Because when we're thinking about the wrong trajectories of our society and the right trajectories that will kind of lead us into more thriving, more inspiring future, education is the key to really program the ones that are more inspiring and more uh, life embracing. Father Luksha, I wish I could go to dinner with you there at uh, Tolstoy's estate. We really appreciate you being with us this evening. Pavel is the author of uh, Future Skills for the 2020 and a great report on learning ecosystems. Pavel, what a treat to reconnect. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed it as always. Thanks so much for Pavel for joining us again on this week's episode. We appreciate his leadership in the field of futurism, a valuable calibration for what we should be prioritizing for learners. If you want to hear another conversation with him, be sure to check out episode 223 on educating for purpose, potential, and the planet. All right, that's it for today, listeners. Remember to hit subscribe so you get each weekly episode ready to go on Wednesdays and be sure to leave us a review. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.